Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, March 21st by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is the second message in our Easter 2021 sermon series entitled The Battle of the Wills. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. How's your willpower these days? You know, when we hear the words willpower, we most often think of eating healthy and exercising regularly. Are you one of those people who can just set your mind to it and you do it? Or are you a little bit more like me where you've tried so many times and you've failed and you're just kind of letting nature take its course? You got to remember that the camera puts 10 pounds on, right? You realize that. And we have two cameras. Actually, we only have one. But when we think about this idea of willpower, how strong is your willpower? Uh, We're not actually in a sermon series talking about you know, the battle of the wills over food or exercising. And I think you know what we're talking about. We're talking about following Jesus and not just kind of a general sense of, oh yeah, I'm a Christian or I follow Jesus, but really that sold out consistence of saying yes to Jesus and and faithfully following him. So there's this struggle that goes on between my will and God's will. And the apostle Paul, he calls it the battle of the will between the flesh and the spirit meaning the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And he talks about it like this in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Now, we know this conflict, right? I mean, this is our struggle as followers of Jesus. Do you ever get discouraged when you think about how you've resolved in your heart to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, you're going to walk with him by the Spirit, only to find that your resolve has dissolved and apathy is set back in again. Like that old hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know, those words were written by Robert Robinson in 1758. That's 263 years ago, and we still identify with them today. So why is it just so hard for us to walk through this life with a steadfast faith in Christ? What causes us to waver from the course that we set out to take so clearly? Well, it's not hard to make a list of the reasons, right? Uh, It could be everything from true hardships in life and suffering to unmet expectations and disappointments to the mundane reality we sometimes feel that our existence is. And, you know, we do have a very real enemy, the devil. He's called the deceiver and the thief. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And and he's really good at his job. And then, of course, there's the influence of the world around us, and there's the influence of the world within us. That's called the flesh. And nothing saps our desire for God more than sin. So I don't have to fill in the blank for you. You know what it is in your life that derails you from walking faithfully with Jesus. But is this it for you? Are you resigned to just bump along through life as a mediocre Christian? Is that how you want to finish off the final chapters of your life and how it'll play out? Or is there time to refocus and redeem lost territory in your walk with God? Which, of course, the answer is yes, there is it's not too late to get back in the game. And that's what's so amazing about the grace of God. He woos us back to himself that we would faithfully walk with him again. So this series is called Battle of the Wills, and it's a reflection 
of what we see in Jesus as he's moving towards the cross. And with Easter only two weeks away, we wanted to focus our attention on the events going on in Jesus' life as, as we head towards Easter Sunday. I want to thank Diana Schaff, who makes up our graphics for our sermon series, these slides that we put up. And she does a great job with that. Now, you might be wondering, as I was, what, what is the significance of the picture of the woman who's walking away? And Diana explained that that represents a person who's actually chosen to go their own way. They're walking away from God, in other words, and not doing his will. And of course, that's a very sobering thought, but um, that's why it's called the battle, because something very real is at stake here. So as I was reflecting on the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem, which obviously led to his suffering and his death, I was drawn to this resolve that he had to carry out the will of the Father. And the verse that caught my attention was Luke 9.51, which says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, there are two aspects of this verse that caught my attention. First, it doesn't say, as the time approached for Jesus' death and resurrection. No, it actually says that as the time approached for his ascension, when, when he's going to be taken up to heaven. And I kind of wondered why, because in my mind, I, I think I would have framed it around the resurrection as the time approached for his resurrection. But it kind of makes sense that when a mission is completed, you head home. And for Jesus, his ascension signified the completion of his mission. You know, I was a part of four teams that went to Haiti on these mission trips. And after a grueling 10 days of hard work in the heat, eating food that was kind of only so-so, sleeping in beds that were kind of only so-so, you were just ready to go home. But we would often take the last day before we left Haiti to go to a beach. And the reason was we wanted to realize we were actually in the Caribbean on a beautiful island. But the interesting thing was that as nice as that was, you just wanted to go home to be with your family. When the mission of Jesus was done, he went home. So as the time of his ascension approached, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The second thing that I noticed was in this verse is this key word resolute or resolutely. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Well, why does it say that? Why not just say that he set out for Jerusalem? And of course, we realized that this statement has a greater meaning to it than simply telling us that Jesus was going to take a trip to Jerusalem. Uh, the word is being used very intentionally to indicate what was going to happen in Jerusalem. It's hinting that Jesus was going to face something there. That's why he had to be resolute about going there. So let's look at a number of our English uh, Bibles and how they translate Luke 9.51. Now we've just read from the NIV, which is the New International Version, and it states it, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now the New American Standard Bible, or NASB, says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. The New King James Version, the NKJV says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then the ESV, the English Standard Version, says when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. All right, so we get a pretty good idea here. Resolutely 
determined, steadfastly set his face, right? We get a good idea that this is the will of Jesus. Now, this last translation that we read where it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem is actually a more literal wording that tries to capture the Jewish idiom for making a firm decision to set one's face toward something. And I really like that. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing that his time had come to complete the mission that he had come to do and knowing exactly what would take place in Jerusalem. He was determined to go. He was resolved to see it through. Now, to this point in Jesus' ministry, he had stayed in the region of Galilee, but he would slowly from this moment on and steadfastly turn his direction toward Jerusalem, and that's where he would end up. Jesus knew what awaited him there. On more than one occasion, he had told his disciples what was going to happen to him, but they just didn't understand. In fact, this was part of the point that Rob made last week, where he said that the disciples couldn't understand the Messiah. They had a picture of his earthly kingdom, and it would happen right away, and he would start to reign. They couldn't understand the idea of the Messiah as a suffering servant who would bring about a kingdom far greater than a local nationalized one. So the disciples couldn't quite grasp it. Now, to be fair, Jesus was a bit elusive when he explained to them what was going to happen in Jerusalem, for instance, in Luke 12, 50. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Now, that's not exactly clear, right? He doesn't say what the baptism is. And in Luke 22, he says, The Son of Man, Jesus, will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. So we can see that it might be a little bit hard for them to understand from these kinds of statements exactly what Jesus has in mind when he talks about going to Jerusalem. But then there were other times where Jesus spells out very clearly to the disciples what was going to happen, but they just, again, they couldn't understand it. So Luke 18, 31 says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man, which again is Jesus, will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Uh, Oh, pardon me, uh, any of its meaning. It was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So even though the disciples just did not understand what was to happen in Jerusalem, for whatever reason, Jesus did. I mean, he knew very clearly what it meant to go to Jerusalem. Could you imagine knowing that you would die a horrible death at the hands of wicked men and still resolutely set your face towards Jerusalem? You know, Jesus did not go there naively. He went there intentionally, knowing full well what it meant, what it meant to be delivered over to Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and killed. John 19.16 records for us some of the most frightful words in all the scripture. Jesus has been handed over to Pilate, the Roman governor, to determine his fate. Innocent and he goes free, guilty and he dies. At the end of this long and frustrating trial, Pilate just washes his hands of the decision that he's made. And so it's worded like this in John 19.16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. 
So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus? Just think about what that meant. I mean, what an absolutely frightening statement. You see, while the trial was going on, the government still was in charge. And to a certain degree, Jesus was protected by the laws of the land. Pilate didn't want to judge this case in the first place. He said things like, what charges are you bringing against this man? And then he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So it seemed like there was a chance, right? A chance for justice to prevail and Jesus to be announced innocent. But once he was out from underneath the law, I mean, he could stand before the Sanhedrin. He could stand before Pilate or even Herod. But the moment that he's turned over to the soldiers, all that protection is gone. Now the hour has come for darkness to reign. The law now gave permission for evil men to do evil things. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. You know, and we know the rest of the story of the horrible, torturous death that Jesus went through at the hands of evil men. So what I find so compelling about Luke 9.51 is that Jesus knew all of this. He knew exactly what awaited him in Jerusalem, and he went anyways. Would you have gone? I know at this point we could think things like, well, of course he did. I mean, that's why he'd come, right? That's what he had to do. He had to do because it would fulfill scripture. And his time as the son of man had come and everything would happen as it was decreed. And that's what scripture tells us. Or maybe we think, well, he's God. So his divine nature somehow took over at this point to compel him to be able to do it. But Jesus was fully human, like you and me. And he knows what he's about to face, the most horrific form of torturous death a person could die. And he didn't have to go. He wasn't going to Jerusalem for himself. He was going there for me. He, he could have stayed in Galilee and he could have carried on his preaching and teaching and healing ministry with his little band of brothers and no one would have bothered him. Just stay in Galilee and you're fine. But go to Jerusalem. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why? To do the will of the Father. To fulfill scripture. To bring about salvation for all people who would trust in him. Now at this point again, we might wonder, well, what exactly is the application from Jesus' situation in his life to mine? I mean, Jesus knew something very precise about God's will for his life, but I don't have that for mine. And it's true, right? I mean, we often talk about knowing God's will for our lives as if it would be crystal clear to us as it seems it was for Jesus. But my experience as a disciple of Jesus Christ has not been that. I mean, I may see things more clearly after the fact, but I rarely ever get to know ahead of time that I know for sure that this precisely is the will of God for me in a given situation. There are no prophetic scriptures written specifically about me to fulfill. That said, there are plenty of scriptures that I could say know me so well that it's not hard for me to know what God's will is in that situation and how it is that he wants me to live. For example, in Ephesians 5.25 where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, I don't have to wrestle at this point to know what God's will is for me in this matter. I may wrestle with doing it, but I don't wrestle with knowing it. Here's my take on the application from Luke 9.51. 
just as Jesus had a resolute spirit to go to the cross, so I too should have a resolute spirit to fix my eyes on Jesus and obey him. That's what I need to be resolute about. That I know for sure is the will of God for you and me. Now, the way the gospel works is simply like this. Jesus died for me so that I might live for him. That's what it means to be resolute about that. I think we get distracted when we're trying to know the will of God for every detail of our lives. Where do I go to college? What career path should I take? Who should I marry? Or, or even if I should marry at all? And while I believe that God does direct us, I think that we might have the wrong obsession. Our obsession should be Jesus and abiding in him. And then we let God direct us. It flows out of that obedient relationship to Jesus. But when we don't have that, then we are very lost. Last week, God brought to my mind um, a little chorus, one that I had not thought of in years. It was called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it's true, I had not thought of this song forever, but I started to whistle it and think about the words of it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It seemed very applicable to my life. I even actually scribbled it down on a sticky note and I put it on my bulletin board just to remind me, hey, Rod, there's your marching orders. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And then this week while I was in the middle of preparing this sermon, one of you sent me an email with a video link in it. And all your email said was, I thought you might enjoy a bit of peace uh, in your busy day. So I clicked on the link and I almost fell off my chair when Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus began to play. Coincidence? Possibly. God? Definitely. John 15.4 is a good application of this message. Jesus says to us, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I really see a correlation there with the idea of keeping your eyes on Jesus and remaining in him. That's what we need to be resolute about, to remain in Jesus. Where we go, Jesus goes with us. And that impacts how I live and the decisions I make. It's when I have this part of my life right with God that he guides me. Whether I choose to go to Briarcrest or I choose to go to UFV. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's be resolute in setting our eyes upon Jesus and abiding in him and gain this awareness that he goes with us into our lives every day. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, there was a, a skit that was going around in the mid-1990s that kind of made this point about Jesus going with us everywhere we go. I was actually titled, Jesus Stay Here. Now, the context is a youth who's made a commitment to Christ and is seeking to live out their faith wherever they go. Uh, the way that the skit works is that there was another person who would represent Christ and uh, Jesus and would follow the youth around wherever they went. So if the youth was at school, they would introduce Jesus to their friends, you know, at home to their parents, at work to their fellow employees. Uh, Hi, this is my new friend, Jesus. Well, anyways, one night the youth is invited to a party. And she kind of thinks twice about taking Jesus. So she says to him, I don't think you're going to really enjoy yourself tonight. Why don't you stay home? When Jesus continues to follow her to the door, she says again, Jesus, I, I don't think you quite understand. You see, this, this really isn't going to be your crowd. 
You know, you, you don't want to be a part of this. You just, you need to stay home. As she then opens the door to leave, she realizes that Jesus has persisted in following her out the door, to which she turns around and she becomes exasperated and indignantly says to him, No, Jesus, you stay here. And she pins his hands. And you know, even though I was a youth pastor and I'd seen the skit a lot of times and it was designed for the kids and not for me, it always got me. I mean, I always understood the point. Because I knew how hard it was to resolutely set my eyes on Jesus and abide in him, knowing full well that he goes with me wherever I go. Has something become a distraction in your life? Something that's taking you away from resolutely setting your face toward Jesus, your Jerusalem? If it has, here's a few of my thoughts about what I think it means to resolutely set our face toward Jesus. So the first thought I have is that if you have allowed sin into your life, it needs to be repented of. Um, We need to admit it is sin, confess it to God, and ask for his forgiveness. And ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us and to walk in the light. Secondly, if you've offended someone, you need to ask for their forgiveness and you need to make that right. Maybe you stopped reading your Bible And it's just time to pick it back up again. In fact, we've posted on our website 14 days of scripture readings that lead up to Easter starting tomorrow. And you might want to just go to the website and print that off and take advantage of it. Maybe you've stopped talking with God and listening for his voice in your life. It's called prayer. Um, Start again. And, And maybe finally, if you've been unaware of the presence of Christ with you wherever you go, then begin to view your daily routine with Jesus by your side. Don't leave him at home. He goes with you. And I want to say that all of this is empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. He is the source of our strength. He is the power that we have to do the will of God in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this world has many things that distract us. Things from the sufferings that go on to the kind of the mundane aspects of life, but then there's also the temptations of the world around us, of the flesh within. We acknowledge that it is difficult to walk faithfully, consistently, and wholeheartedly with Jesus Christ our Lord. But as we think about what he did, resolutely going to Jerusalem, knowing that he would suffer and die there, and he did it for us, I would pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, empower us to live a life that reflects our gratitude toward him for that. And may we celebrate you so deeply this Easter, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the questions we're going to be discussing, and you can think on them and talk about them in your own home. One, what do you think makes it so hard to walk consistently and wholeheartedly with Jesus through this life? Two, realizing that Jesus knew what was to happen to him in Jerusalem, and yet he went there anyways, does that impact your faith? And if so, how? Three, how would viewing Jesus going with you everywhere change your decision-making process? And four, do you think it makes sense that you would know more clearly God's will for you if you were to resolutely abide in Christ and obey him? God bless you as you discuss these questions today. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.